Last Arbor Day at What's on Joe Mind. I was at North Carolina Toy Con over the weekend, and someone told us that his 10-year-old son peed his pants during an episode. And I was like, all right, now we got the fluids going. That's, that's, <laughs> that tells me we're doing something right. <laughs> Put the DVD box. <laughs> Cleared my sinuses, Mike Irizarry, What's on Joe Mind. Made my yep. kid pee his pants. Dave Jones, <laughs> North Carolina Comic Con. Oh, I want those kinds of experiences. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Truly, these pants are entirely too dry. Everybody, welcome to What's on Joe Mind, special edition number fifty-seven. Just me tonight. I'm Mike Irizarry. I'm your regular host. Carson and Joe are a wall. Well, I mean, I know where they are, but we need to treat them with shame. With me tonight, our special guest from Toy Galaxy on YouTube, their venerable host Dan Larson. Dan, how are you this evening? I'm doing very well, and I think technically your hosts aren't a wall because I think they have permission for leave. Do they not? They have excuses for where they are i don't know if i've granted those leaves okay so the, the clearances they're still held up in legislative red tape i gotcha <laughs> correct i have a seat of zero authority but the ceremonial functions i take very seriously excellent excellent duly noted <laughs> i'm the old guy on the podcast so i have to be cranky and crotchety about something otherwise it doesn't doesn't work out right so also no other worldly obligations something like that yeah <laughs> I, I am the only one of the, the cast that is a shiftless layabout. There you go. I believe that is the official term. Host, comma, shiftless layabout. There's a lot of value in knowing your role and your place in the world. Exactly. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> if something comes up, I'm ready for it. If nothing comes up, well, I got Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, this is going to go well. I like this oh, episode I already. <laughs> We'll get started, Dan. You and I, we are both collectors and gentlemen of a particular age. I have a feeling there's going to be at least some common memories that we have. But take us back to your early, 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 early days of getting into toys. Past, hey, I was a kid. That's what we did. Yeah, yeah. Definitely back before I was, you know, making my own choices as far as what I was buying or what I was interested in. And G.I. Joe's always there at the very beginning of the, oh, I've got some money and I want to spend it. So sort of draw a distinction between the time that I was that, you know, toys were being bought for me versus when I became a collector, you know, and there's the, the mm. difference is really when you have the money to spend and you get to make those decisions yourself, right? Yeah, very true. Yeah. So people who follow the show may have picked up on the fact at this point that uh, I did live in Japan for a few years from uh, 1980 to 1982. And when we came back from Japan, that's right about the time that G.I. Joe was hitting, and that's right about the time that I actually started to have my own money to be able to actually buy things. So as far as being an active collector, consciously collecting things and making choices, G.I. Joe's right there at the beginning. And you know, the first figure I ever bought was a spirit. Oh, wow. Spirit. Yeah, my brother had already, my brother had already picked up Snake Eyes version 1 and Short Fuse couple other random things here and there but uh, i distinctly remember him picking those two up i also remember i opted for a hot wheels helicopter that day he picked up two gi joes i grabbed a hot wheels helicopter and i think it was the uh you know the the movie megaforce oh yeah 
with the cars and motorcycles that had guns and rockets and stuff on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grabbed one of those. So he was grabbing Joe's. I was grabbing cars. But then uh, right after that, ended up with my own money. And that's when I grabbed Spirit. I was in at that point. Nice. Personally, Stalker was my first one. I was a smart enough kid to grab a bad guy. Uh, so I got a Cobra officer that day, too. Was that straight arm stalker or swivel yeah. arm? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 82. Okay. Uh, old school. It, it, my, my brother, my older brother, he introduced the bug to the house to, to bite the rest of us. He had picked up snake eyes and flash and a cobra soldier. And we figured out that these toys were pretty awesome. And they supplanted Star Wars in our conscious because they had knees and elbows. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, then we got a hold of the comic book, and was really it. That was the tipping point. That was when it was like, these are pretty dope, these are pretty fly, and all these other 80s words. And so Yeah, well, of course. Of course the, yes. race, the race was on at that point. <laughs> what was your hierarchy when you were a kid? Like, what, what did you collect first and foremost? We were Joe kids from the beginning. It makes sense that I'm here doing this silly program. What was your mindset? I was 100% G.I. Joe, supplemented by the other stuff. I was, you know, into He-Man. My brother wasn't really into that stuff. I had some Transformers. You know, he really got Optimus and then kind of bailed. I stayed with everything else. But the primary thread through the collection was always G.I. Joe, especially, and you just mentioned it, it's like Star Wars was strong, but even at that age, even at that time, you knew that the articulation and the kinds of accessories and stuff that you were getting with a G.I. Joe figure, it just, it left Star Wars... (laughs) in the dust and and not for nothing but the fact that gi joe was an ongoing mythology and star wars had pretty much ended now where do you go from there the the droids cartoon the ewoks cartoon you know none of that stuff was as big as or or as significant as the films themselves so you had a bunch of characters whose mythologies had already ended and then you had gi joe which was this new and exciting thing with a, a still undiscovered still developing mythology cartoons on tv comics in the stores waves of figures coming out of the time with crazy designs and names and just just all kinds of stuff and it it just gi joe just becomes the bulk (laughs) of my collection and and everything probably up through the 90s (laughs) somewhere around there (laughs) were you actively buying toys all the way through high school puberty all that stuff just like most collectors i'm sure my collecting sort of mirrored what was going on with the toy industry at the time gi joe starts to be less about what it was in the beginning, you know, and, and starts to get weird at the end there, especially when you start bringing in like the Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat stuff. And there just in general weren't a lot of good action figure options out there. If you weren't into Batman or, you know, Ninja Turtles or, or Kenner's Predator and Alien and that stuff, there just wasn't a lot of really interesting action figures. And, you know, that's where I sort of center back to is I don't really care what the brand is or what the line is as long as it's a you know an interesting action figure. And so when Toy Biz hit in the 90s with their Marvel superheroes figures, that's when I was in high school, just about done. And that sort of got back into to toy collecting big time. Uh, I talk about collection 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. 1.0 is that collection, the stuff you have from when you were a kid. You didn't really buy a lot of that stuff for yourself. It came from Christmases and birthdays and gifts from people. And all of that stuff had either been broken thrown away mom tossed it and you know i had about a a a gallon ziploc bag left that had some battle beasts a bunch of joes some star wars guys amigo spider-man but then by the time the 90s come around and toy biz puts out all those x-men figures and stuff that's when it really takes off again and i'm back in you know bigger than ever before (laughs) buying everything (laughs) 
Yeah, that's when it started for me too. That that very same line even. I was I was collecting the Marvel heroes and they were starting to populate in my dorm room the the, the same shelf as as my clock radio. And so every morning I knocked over about 10 different figures to turn off the alarm, but that's that's a whole other turned into another comedy of errors. I I know my roommate from that time loves me to this day. <laughs> Yeah, and, and at the, around the same time, you get the re-release of the, or not the re-release, but you get the Power of the Force Star Wars figures, which, even though we're going back to less articulation, and those were some wonky-looking figures with their, mm-hmm. you know, cut abs and yeah. <laughs> rippling biceps and stuff, <laughs> uh, it was still at that point, you know, the, the nostalgia of having a Star Wars line back, again, hooked me. I was, I was already hooked. It hooked me even further and just kept me buying and continuing those lines. Through college, it was the same thing for me. I started college in 1994, so through 94 to 98, that was just, you know, away from home, living in a dorm, making a little bit of money, hitting Toys R Us and KB Toys every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Being a regular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, a friend of mine and I were in a class together, and we would just, he had a vehicle, so we would cut that class, go to Toys R Us, grab lunch, you know. (laughs) Standard stuff. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I passed the class, so where's the harm, you know? That's all that counts. That's all that counts. When did you get back to Joe? I have a younger brother. Uh, He's 10 years younger than me. So there was this thing that happened where I was technically out and not collecting. But since he was at the age where he was still getting toys and stuff, you know, my parents were still buying figures for him. And he was into G.I. Joe. If something interesting did pop up, I could kind of, oh, okay, that one's pretty cool. I might have to grab one of those for myself, you know, <laughs> or I'll just grab that one. He's small. I can take him, you know, mm. <laughs> and by small, I mean my brother, not the G.I. Joe. Well, yeah. But as far as getting back in, it wasn't until the, the 25th anniversary line. And I was even late to get back to that because when they first hit, I wasn't, uh, I think the box sets hit first. The, yeah. um, I, I don't remember exactly because I wasn't really paying attention to that line at the time. The few figures I had seen didn't really impress me. And it wasn't until they hit maybe the second year of 26th anniversary. It wasn't until the <laughs> second year, 25th anniversary, that some of those figures, I feel like they changed the molding a little bit, the way the joint, the articulation was set up. And I realized how nice they really were. And then I went back and got some of the earlier ones. Yeah. And then I collected that entire line. Yeah, that's not a bad call, really. Those first couple five packs were on the janky side for the most part just like anything else it came down to how good is snake eyes version two and that first snake eyes version two is terrible <laughs> from 25th anniversary it's not a good figure no it is not i i have to agree it's, yeah so and i you know i like i i it wasn't that long ago i can remember it like it was yesterday but i had passed on it in a store and then i had waited long enough that that figure wasn't in the stores anymore and and i was like oh no uh, i think torpedo actually torpedo was the first figure from the 25th anniversary line that i picked up he was like the second vintage figure that I had ever gotten. Spirit was first, Torpedo was second. And I got Torpedo and I was like, oh, you know what? This is actually pretty cool. Nike, but the knife in his holster. You got the goggles that, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, ah, man, now I, now I got to have Snake Eyes version two. And I was looking at pictures online of it. And I'm like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I thought it was bad when I saw it in the stores, but it actually looks like it's okay. And I bought it off eBay and I was just like pacing around, like waiting for that figure to come in. Like, ah, I can't wait to get it. And then I got it. And I was like, yeah, it's not that good. <laughs> but I have it now, you know. <laughs> it's important. It's a milestone, damn it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, at least the card art is cool and, you know, it comes with the wolf and, you know, all right, it's still good. I'm sure they're going to make them again, you know? <laughs> yeah, for real. It's, it's kind of a generational thing at this point. Once a decade, yeah. Snake Eyes version two has to be released. And then everybody... Yeah, well, I think at that point, that was that was like, what, the sixth version of Snake Eyes? And now we're on like 48 or 52 or something? Something like that. I, I think we're up to, I think we're into the 60s. You know what? Uh, I'm, I'm checking that out. <laughs> I'm checking that out. It's it's really high, and it it, it accelerated very quickly. <laughs> yeah, Just, yeah. The, uh, the, the, the modern versions, uh, they piled up in a hurry. Yeah, he, he became that Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man, Wolverine, whatever character that just uh, 68, according to Yojo.com, <laughs> it's the last version. <laughs> nice. He is the, the subject of the next movie. Yeah, and that's not going to, yeah, no, that's add a, tack another 40 versions on there. <laughs> at, at least it'd be uh, camouflage snake eyes and Spider-Man snake eyes and Deadpool snake eyes. Oh, wait, yeah. that, that's, that's what no. he already is, isn't he? <laughs> Precisely. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. <laughs> but they definitely did get, uh, they got through some very uh, excellent versions of Snake Eyes, versions of that character that I would say may reach the level of just as good as the vintage ones, maybe even in some cases surpassing it. Uh, not having the same nostalgic punch, of course, but really incredible figure. Yeah, yeah, they, they did some good work a lot of the time. And, and some of the times where they missed, at least you can still appreciate that they tried to do something different with a guy that you're not allowed to give any color details to. Exactly. Because, <laughs> again, people will melt down. Again, well, and, you know, it's funny how, how you, you sort of your attitudes about those things change. Like, you know, Snake Eyes version one, Commando, obviously, great figure, sets the whole character up. Snake Eyes version two, holds in the ninja mystique, the wolf, the visor, the sword, all that stuff. Version three, you know, you got the butterfly knives, that stuff. Still cool. And then you hit that version four, and he comes with, I think, did he come with orange accessories? Any orange or red? I can't remember exactly what color they were. Well, kind of the same. There were some really bright red orangey details and some blue details. Yeah. And it, it well, and he had the like ski goggles, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I refer to that one as, as hockey, hockey snake eyes. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, he's got like the blue vest and it, you know, I think that one had a, uh, didn't he have the leg kicking action for <laughs> like, uh, with the, the T style, you know, hips. That wasn't um, not him. his proudest. That was that was the next one. The next one had the the T crotch and the the diaper butt and all that other stuff. No, Snake Eyes. Right. Snake Eyes four had looking at it. He had the red gun, red sword. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I just pulled it up. Yeah, I get those two mixed up because they both have the blue accents. But yeah, okay. So he didn't have the kicking, but he did have the ski goggles and everything. But that figure for twenty fifth era was released, I think, to Christmas tree shops and like those kinds of stores. Mm -hmm as a sort of limited release figure. And even that figure as a modern figure, I ended up liking a lot and, and having some nostalgic, like, ah, it's cool because he's like the original guy. And, and I've let all that, I've let bygones be bygones, you know, <laughs> he's still snake eyes and I can, I can live with this one. Now I dig it. And that's, it's one of my favorite modern snake eyes figures. Now in my head, I always just would say, well, he looks, he looks better in the comic. It just loses some, a little something in the translation, but the comic book, he still looks cool. Right, and so I, right. I could justify it in my head that way. So you are a Snake Eyes guy. You're oh, one, absolutely, yeah. You're one of, one of the masses of people. You just, what does that character mean to you? Like, where where is he on your favorites list? Just across across the board. Oh, he's he's top four easily. 
top four is Boba Fett, Snake Eyes. Not necessarily in this order. Boba mm-hmm. Fett, Snake Eyes, Captain America, Matt Tracker <laughs> for me. You, you don't have to always take G.I. Joe. I'm not going to kick you off if, if there's something you like better. No, no, man. It's it's the facts. It's the facts. Had a, I was telling you just before we started recording here, I was in a, a at a toy show this past weekend in North Carolina, NC Toy Con. And, you know, on the drive down, I was trying to think like, oh, you know, if people are going to ask me questions, like, you know, I got I to be prepared with some answers. And, you know, what if what if somebody wants to know, like, what my favorite, what's my all time favorite toy line? What's what's the big, you know, the thing that I just I've collected the most, I have the most of. And because there hasn't been a lot of activity with G.I. Joe recently, I, it's not that I forget about it, but I forget how important it is to me because I haven't spent any money on it recently. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing new to add to the collection. I already have all the vintage stuff I want. I already have all the 25th and, and movie and all that other stuff that I want. It's just there's nothing new coming. But when I think about the actual volume of figures that I have and that I have carefully taken care of and stocked with all their accessories and all that stuff, it's G.I. Joe. You know, I, I have my Alley Viper army built batch. I have my bats. You know, I have my my mint Budo and, you know, my carded law and order and my, you know, like, yeah, no, it's it's G.I. Joe. I just it's it fades away because I'm, you know, right now I'm buying Star Wars Black Series and Marvel Legends and Gundam stuff and, you know, modern things that are constantly being released. And G.I. Joe is just sitting there. How much do you think the difference in scale between your what we've accepted as your regular G.I. Joe? Obviously, G.I. Joe, you go back to the 60s, and it's it's been a couple of different sizes over the years. But, you know, f- the 4-inch, the 1-18th scale is, is pretty well what we've accepted as G.I. Joe lately. How do you think that's that affects their lack of market presence? If I don't... Yeah, I don't. I don't know that the scale is is necessarily the issue. Obviously, Hasbro responded to three and three quarter inch collectors for Star Wars and put out their. They they brought back the vintage collection to take care of that part of the market. The majority of the market right now is six inch collectors, so I don't know that that's necessarily a factor for them not being there. I also don't know how the costs break down on the other side. I assume a six inch figure costs more to make, and they can charge more for it, and so they want to be on that end of it. But I still think that that scale is important to action figure collecting. I just think six-inch figures is where the market is right now. Can they succeed at three and three-quarter? Yes. Would they do better at six? Yes. <laughs> the, the unfortunate answer I keep coming up with, too. I'm, I'm not thrilled about having to move to a different scale. I don't like what going to six inches would do for vehicles, which are just as important to to G.I. Joe, I think, as the these crazy cast of characters are. There's going to have to be something to, even if it's just to plant the seed for everybody to follow them back to four inches, they have to plant the seed at six inches to get their foothold back. Well, it's like, I don't want to get into, you know, all the economics of it, because I'm not uh, an expert on the economics of it, but the whole reason G.I. Joe went to that scale in the first place was, you know, issues with the cost of plastic (laughs) Mm. and wanting to make vehicles, thinking that, you know, vehicles was really the thing that was going to drive the line. You know, they were getting that from Star Wars, and that seemed to be the way to go, and I I would guess that at the beginning, they would not have thought that they were going to produce as many figures over the life of the line as they ended up producing. We're in a position now, similarly, <laughs> where the cost of figures is going up every year. 
or at least a couple of years because of the cost of plastic. And I'm sorry, but you know, for me, $20 is that's my breaking point. I got to find another option. And if that means waiting for fig figures to get clearanced or somehow find deals on them or whatever, that's where I have to go. I, they start rolling out $25, $30 figures and I'm just, I, I can't go there. So if, if that ends up resulting, if there's other collectors that are thinking that way with their wallets, <laughs> then yeah, I think you would see that return to three and three quarter inch so that the price can come back down another six or $7. Or if you get enough people to subscribe to the Toy Galaxy Patreon Millionaires Club. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, do they want me to be happy or what? Like, <laughs> they have to go. evaluate what's important here. <laughs> yeah. Got to help Dan and producer Greg. Plastic is getting expensive. I need you to supplement my figure buying. <laughs> there's other, there's three and three quarter figure producers out there that are doing just fine with the, an aesthetic is that is strikingly similar to what G.I. Joe would be if G.I. Joe was out there right now. You know, the Marauder Task Force from Marauder Gunrunners. Mm-hmm. They seem to be doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of complaints there either. People, they, they have their fans and those fans are Legion and diehard. But those they guys... have had three incredibly successful Kickstarters. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're great folks, too. I, I... Oh, they're, they're, they're fantastic people. And they know that a large portion of their success is due to filling the hole that G.I. Joe has left. Mm. While we're on vehicles, is there any Joe vehicle that you just have a disproportionate attachment to to where you've maybe got 10 or 12 of them stashed away somewhere? No, the, the closest... Hang on, I'm counting Ram cycles in my head. No, uh, the closest I would have on that... Uh, I do like the the Ram motorcycle, obviously. That's one of those smallest... It's a small, affordable thing. It's a motorcycle with a side cannon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's... You couldn't... How is that thing never released in, like, different colors and stuff, right? I'm with you. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. I'm with you. Uh, I love that thing. I probably, I probably only got two or three. And if I have three, one of them is the 25th anniversary version. Mm. which uh, is, is a, an incredibly well-done update. Same aesthetic, you know, more detail. You know, plastic is, is going to last. It just, it's a nice-feeling-looking motorcycle. Same thing with, like, Sky Striker. I've got two, Vintage and 25th. Rattler, Vintage and 25th. I don't really have... There's, there's none of those that I bulk bought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I ended up with two or three 25th anniversary Sky Strikers, because I don't remember who did the label sets for them. You could do like the F-14 from Top Gun. You could do, you know, the VF-84, VF-41. You know, you could do the various. There was one that was like Robotech labels and another one that was, you know, Starscream, whatever. I bought a couple of sets of those labels and I was going to, you know, custom up a couple vintage Sky Strikers. And then I just never got around to doing them. <laughs> so even in the set of labels that came with the Sky Striker, you had options. Oh, sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Dress them I, uh, up for your various heroes from the cartoon that, that flew planes for some reason. Yeah, and I, in general, I tend to be sparing with even, you know, if we're talking about the labels that came with the vintage or the 25th version, you know, it's like I'm going to pick and choose what I'm going to put on there. Hmm. Just because you're giving me this sticker doesn't mean I need to put it on the vehicle. I'm going to put it there if I think it's right. <laughs> I like I like anything that adds to the realism of it, but there's a point at which there's too much. Yeah, 114 no-step things. <laughs> yeah, those. Yeah. my older brother still has, like, I think he's got PTSD from all the no-step stickers. 
<laughs> it's it's just it's surprising how many came with that thing. Yeah, that Sky Striker in particular was really. You just have to wonder if your if your fighting force is is gathered up on the runway and everybody's just walking on the plane before it takes off. That's not that's not really your elite fighting force, is it? Guys, how many times do I have to tell you? No step. No step. No step. <laughs> anywhere. No step anywhere. <laughs> There's this bucket that I sit in, and that's all. <laughs> There's a ladder. Put your hands and feet on that. No step anywhere else. <laughs> Take us to the, the beginning of Toy Galaxy. How did you steer this obsession with little plastic dudes into a YouTube channel? So producer Greg and I had been working on some other stuff together, other creative projects. Well, even before that, my goal, my dream was, you know, I went to art school, mm -hmm. a degree in art. I was a big fan of comics, and I always wanted to draw, draw comics and specifically self-publish. So I spent several years trying to build my comic book brand and put some stuff out there and, you know, web comics and that sort of thing. My problem is I was always chasing the technology. <laughs> When, you know, when I graduated from college, I had a, a my art education was in like printmaking, but it wasn't in desktop publishing. You know, it was in like limestone lithography and woodcut, large format press, those sorts of things. Technology from the turn of the previous century. <laughs> like we're talking old school printmaking. It wasn't applicable to the world of, you know, jobs that I suddenly found myself in, you know, where they're looking for people who have experience in Photoshop and Illustrator and desktop publishing and all these sorts of things. So it wasn't really applicable. So it was a learning curve there where I had to sort of bring myself up to speed with technology. And while I was able to, to learn all that in terms of publishing, I didn't know how to do anything like web related. Right. So I know it was a, it was years before I had an actual website up. So I was still thinking conventional print publishing. Whereas had I been more aware of what was going on, that the real comic scene was online. So I was always, you know, behind that, just chasing it in the distance. Like, hey guys, don't, don't forget me. <laughs> Wait up. You know, <laughs> after that, Greg and I had worked on some individual sort of uh, individual independent film projects, little things, but we wanted to, to make some films. We wanted to make videos. Uh, I wanted to be in front of the camera, acting, doing stuff. We wanted to work on creative development together. He wanted to be able to direct and edit. And, you know, any of these projects we worked on, they just never, they would never go anywhere. They would never, they barely, if, if they got completed, we could never do anything with them. And so we put a lot of production into one particular project and then it ended up falling apart. And we said, you know what, that's it. <laughs> We've had enough of this. Trying to have that many people involved just to, to make a thing like that. Too much time wasted, too, too much money, too many people involved. Let's just pull it back. Find something that just the two of us can work on. We know we can count on each other. We know we'll be able to, to carve out the time to do short, very short projects every week. Let's, let's go ahead and try uh, our hand at doing YouTube toy stuff. And it was toy stuff because that's what I wanted to do. I was already passionate about action figures. I've been collecting my whole life. I had a huge collection. <laughs> and there would never be a shortage of material. I was always buying new stuff. And so we took a look at the toy review scene and said... You know, what can we do that's different than what we're seeing out here? We're not saying that anything was bad or we didn't want to do it that way. We would want to incorporate whatever anybody else was doing right. But we wanted to be able to sort of put our own voice and our own spin on a toy show mm. on YouTube and, and see where we could go with it. And so we started off. We shot two episodes. <laughs> One was a Sabine Wren Star Wars action figure and the other was Combiner Wars Megatron. And 
they're rough. <laughs> they're rough episodes. You know, at the time we thought they were pretty good and pretty well developed, but you know, obviously you can't anticipate how things are going to evolve and the more comfort level you have in terms of writing or being in front of the camera. And you know, literally four years later, we we just had our four year anniversary on the fifth, April fifth. So, you know, thank you. <laughs> you 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 can't predict what things are going to look like after six hundred plus videos and four years worth of us just grinding and and trying to improve with every episode. Most of what I watch on your channel, I, I don't, I'll be honest, unfortunately, I don't catch most of the photo box episodes. It's a different kind of viewer that that's intended for. It's all under that banner of toys, but e even when I talk to people about the channel who've never heard of it before, even if they're toy fans, it's like, the Dan and the Photo Booth episodes are a different animal. <laughs> they're, they're fine at all. Just usually when I'm sitting down in front of the TV, I'm really plugged into what's in front of the TV. And unless what's in the little still photo comes up and says, Ooh, that's kind of neat. I'd like to see the story behind that. Then I, I just, I usually don't go to that, but the, like the history ones, the oddities, I'm all about those things. They are fantastic. Thank you. And that's, and that's where the channel has really gone to as much as I love doing, you know, four minutes or less reviews of indiv individual figures. It became very apparent that, you know, the future of the channel was in those types of educational, informational, but also still entertaining types of videos. One of those is usually, what, 12, 15 minutes? In that range, yeah. How much time does it take to produce that 12, 15 minutes? It's, uh, it varies, and it's getting more extensive. The history of channel, channel, the history of episodes started off as a batch of videos called Need to Know. And the idea there was just, we're just going to hit 10 interesting things about a particular brand, and that's it. So I would just, you know, do some research, figure out 10 things, and I would just, we'd just throw them out there. They weren't necessarily in chronological order. It was just 10 things. And then it, it sort of evolved into chronological order, and they started to get more extensive, and then we just changed the format altogether, called it History Of, and they became these sort of little mini documentaries isn't even the right word, but, you know, these History Of episodes, you know what they look like. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as what the production time is, once we have the idea in mind for what the video is going to be, what the subject matter is going to be, Anywhere from half a day to a day worth of research, trying to pull that outline together, figure out what the narrative of the episode is going to be, because just presenting the facts isn't what we're trying to do. You know, anybody can just sort of state the facts in chronological order. We're trying to tell a story, make it entertaining, put some jokes in there and, and move it along at a brisk pace, but still cover all the important stuff. I'll spend anywhere from half a day to a day writing. And then we'll shoot. And of course, like most stuff, shooting is the shortest portion of the whole thing. Mm. If we're shooting a 10-minute, 15-minute episode, that shoot is only a few minutes longer than what usually ends up on screen. There's not a lot of outtakes. There's not a lot left on the cutting room floor. I'm working off a teleprompter. I'm very comfortable with it at this point. I wrote the script, so you know I know <laughs> there's no surprises in there. <laughs> uh, we usually do like a... We usually do one quick read through just for me to sort of fine tune any gags or anything or identify, you know, if, if I'm using a word too many times or if it just doesn't sound right or if I'm having a hard time actually saying it out loud, you know, and I need to rephrase a sentence or something. And if, if, uh, and then, if producer Greg throws in a go f yourself, San Diego. <laughs> well, yeah, so I'm, I'm writing all the words and if, <laughs> if that gets in there, he'll suggest it. And then if it's funny, I'll put it in. <laughs> uh, because I'm going to be the one reading it anyway, and then on the fly, I can always skip a line or something if I decide not to. 
even though I researched and wrote the script, I am still pretty tied to that teleprompter because at that point, you know, my focus is on the performance. And as much as that quote unquote performance is just me being me, you know, talking with my hands, making funny expressions or whatever, mm-hmm. there's also some timing that goes along with it, you know, and that becomes my focus. So if there was something off on the teleprompter, yeah, I might accidentally read, you know, <laughs> things that didn't need to be in there. Uh, and we'll ad lib sometimes and, you know, some of the the outtakes uh, that get left in the videos are legit outtakes. You know, something happened and it was unexpected and it became funny. But then there's other stuff that it didn't come up when I was writing it. It didn't come up in our, our read through beforehand. And then when I'm, you know, in that moment reading that line of the script, something, you know, will occur to me and I'll be like, ah, oh, this will be funny. I'm going to do this right now. And it'll hit and we'll laugh <laughs> and the whole thing gets left in. But then after we're done shooting, Greg will take anywhere from four to seven hours, you know, to edit the whole thing, get it all properly formatted and uploaded to YouTube. So it's not weeks long process, but you know, days long. What's the schedule like? You guys post on Thursday, correct? Correct. So what leads up to that? How, what What's the day timeline as far as when this gets done? Uh, we're usually shooting a week ahead for lots of reasons. And, and I think the bigger the channel gets, the further out we'll want to be shooting <laughs> mm. just to give ourselves, you know, the proper lead time. The longer the episodes are, the more elaborate they are, the more the more professional we're trying to make them, the more time we want to give ourselves to work on them and, and to be able to collaborate back and forth. Early in the channel, it would, you know, Greg hadn't even seen the script until we were sitting down to shoot it. And if there was anything off or anything wrong, there was no room for changes or additions or anything like that. You know, now we have some time to actually be able to go back and forth. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Oh, what about if you did this? Some collaborative opportunity there. And for him to, you know, straight up identify things that I just got wrong. You know, he does some of the research and he'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa you know, you, you called it. Like, for instance, in the in the G-Force video that we just posted last week, one of the sequels to the original Gotcha Man Japanese cartoon, it's called G-Fighter, singular. Mm-hmm. I thought it was called fighters plural and you know that's the kind of sort of eye for detail that he brings to it because he was like if you say fighters we're going to get a million comments that are like it's called g fighter idiot you know (laughs) (laughs) know, do your research so you know what you're talking about before you shoot a video you know (laughs) so it's like oh thank you for catching that thank you for saving us from that barrage of comments not that we're not going to get other comments but at least we don't have to worry about those Mm. Yeah, and and truthfully, the the worst part of that kind of comment, and you know, we've been doing this long enough that we get hit with those too. There's some kernel of truth in there that you have to acknowledge. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, yeah. As of much course. as you hate, <laughs> as much as you hate the vehicle at which it was presented to you, and in you know, an obnoxious comment from from some random review board. Yeah, no, there's 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 the polite way of saying something like that. And there's the way it actually gets delivered in the comments. You could say, oh, I'm, I, I think it might have been G fighter singular. I'm not sure, but I'll check and maybe, you know, just think keep that in mind for next time. And then there's the do your research, idiot. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the pleasant way of maybe sending an email so that they're you're not. So everybody gets to save face. No, it's out. Well, and I, I honestly think, you know, it's, I don't think I know that. You know, there are people who listen to your show, watch our videos, whatever it is online. The the only reason they're consuming that content, that they're even clicked on it, was because it's a game to them to see where they can point out the things you got wrong. 
And it doesn't matter how much you got right or how funny it was or how, how the explosions or anything else. It's like, if you got one little thing wrong, then they won. Mm-hmm. I won. Like, I, I pointed out the thing you got wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you, you just, fine, have the victory. I, you're, you're blocked. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Never talking to you again. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Glad it was worth it. We don't care. As I have made yeah. the thread on our show before, when when uh, other folks get together and they put together their G.I. Joe podcasts, then they can do exactly what they want to do. And they don't have to listen to us anymore. And we'll be happy to exactly. give, them, give them a follow and some free PR, no problem. More the merrier in our world. But uh, until then, eh, we don't care what you think we should do yeah. with our show. Yeah, it, we, we very early on in the, the life of the channel, we, and, and I'm just, I tend to be a positive person just in general, and I, I don't have time, I, I don't have the energy to write negative stuff, to, to be critical. I can be constructively critical, obviously. Yeah, I went to art school. I know how to deliver critique mm. as far as being encouraging and, and being able to offer suggestions that may help improve a thing without having to tear the person apart emotionally, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and we just resolved very early on that what we wanted to try to produce was something that was positive. And, you know, the voice, the tone of the whole channel just sort of became this, you know what? We know we're going to get stuff wrong. We're not perfect. That's not the real focus. The real focus here is trying to make you laugh, trying to be positive and put something interesting and informational out there. And if we get something wrong, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And if you get something wrong, it's going to be some tiny detail and not the overarching idea. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's very hard to make a thing and make a positive thing. It's so easy to be critical and just try try to tear things apart. And one of the things we really saw, one of the things I knew <laughs> existed in the toy community is just this constant negativity about how everything sucks. Mm. And uh, they would just make this and uh, I don't know why they don't do that. And whoa, these decisions are terrible and all this stuff. And it's just like, there's a million channels out there. If you want to hear somebody talk about what Hasbro is doing wrong with GI Joe, (laughs) it's like, go watch all, I don't care. Go watch all those. I don't want to get lost in this sea of negativity. I'm going to talk about what I love about the thing. Be happy, laugh and smile a lot, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And at the same time, just be cognizant that, Somebody put a lot of work into that, even if you hate it. That's that's another thing that I really try to, you know, I have like my sort of, it's not actually written down anywhere, but I have my sort of, you know, tenets, my <laughs> my Bible of, you know, my philosophy of writing scripts. And one of the things is, yeah, keep, keep in mind that even if this thing is bad, n- nobody set out to make a bad thing. <laughs> you know, mm. the, these people, it's their jobs. They are our people on the other end of this. And, you know, through the show, I've actually been able to become, you know, acquaintances with some of the people who have actually worked on, you know, on G.I. Joe figures or, you know, concept art, packaging, you know, marketing, sales, whatever. And they'll be the first ones to tell you that that thing that you ended up seeing was not the original thing we had intended to make. This got cut. That got cut. This guy, you know, try to remember that there's people on the other side. And again, there's a way to be critical. And to point out that some things eh, could have been done better without just being like, everything in the world sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, there, there's feedback and then there's just destructive nonsense. 
yeah and and if and if all you do with your show or with your whatever is just con- you're just this constant stream of negativity it's i tend to wonder like do, do you even like toys do you even like gi joe do you even like <laughs> do you even like this stuff i don't think you do <laughs> You know, you, you, you have this picture in your head of something that just doesn't exist and it's never gonna. Yeah. The, the Coke bottle, rose colored glasses, if you will. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of very expensive action figure lines that are out right now. You know, Mezco 112, uh, is the darling of the action figure world right now. And those things are $80 a piece. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. Heck no. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you're telling me that, you know. Action figure collecting should, you know, there's some ideal where everything has to start at 80 bucks and go up to $150, $200 like a Hot Toys or a Sideshow Collectibles piece. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I don't I, That's not collecting to me. I could buy one a year. <laughs> yeah, I, I could buy probably one and then I just have to stop that nonsense. As yeah, I, I look at my, I look over at my shelf and I see my one sideshow GI Joe. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly. pretty much it. That's the yeah, collection. Just, that, you know, like I, I get it. I get it. All these import figures, the Figuarts and the Mafex and the Revoltec and whatever else. Like, yeah, they're really nice figures, and they cost the same as three domestic figures. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I was getting into action figures. Yes, I liked G.I. Joe because it had more articulation than Star Wars, but G.I. Joe figures were only like a dollar more, <laughs> you know? If? Like, if it, if it costs that much to deliver that kind of a thing, then I don't want that kind of a thing. Yeah. And well, that's why, like, Marvel Legends, Star Wars Black Series, if they were actually, if Hasbro actually decided to come out with a six-inch line of G.I. Joes and they were $30 a piece, I'm not going to lie, I'd buy them. But I wouldn't be happy about it. No. <laughs> I, would be, I would be disappointed that they were so expensive. But I'd do it. <laughs> I just don't want to. Yeah, yeah. it would just hurt. It would hurt a lot. Yeah. I, to... You know, wave one. I'd get all the wave one, and then by wave two, I'd have to start picking and choosing. Be down to get down to one and a half meals a day. <laughs> yeah. I, start, I started writing down a list uh, before the show. I was like, all right, you know, what if, if they, if they want to talk about, like, oh, what's your favorite figure from this year? What's your favorite figure from, you know, that wave, whatever? And it, like after like five minutes, I was like, I'm just writing down the entire list of figures. <laughs> this is just <laughs> this is just every figure they released. This isn't like I can't put this in any order. <laughs> yeah, we're not super specific. You're you're going to collect and you're going to do it your way. And we're, you know, great. Was there anything that you wanted to throw out there? I mean, you've made your love of Snake Eyes quite public with the channel. So I, I obviously I wanted to touch on that a little bit. But was there is there anything else about your collecting habits with G.I. Joe that we we didn't talk about? Not really. You know, it's it's funny, and I'm sure you've experienced it. And, you know, collecting, especially vintage lines, is is interesting, whether you grew up with them or not. Mm. Star Wars is at a weird spot right now because collectors who collect vintage Star Wars, they've run out of stuff to collect, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you completed that line decades ago. <laughs> There's nothing left to buy. They've got carded figures. They've got whatever. So now every once in a while, you start to see these weird variants pop up. And then that collecting community goes nuts over them for a while. Like, oh, no, they, they just found out that there's this weird orange dot on, like, Boba Fett's knee or something. And now everybody goes out looking for the weird orange dot variant of Boba Fett. And it's like, it's not a variant. <laughs> it was just, at some point at the factory, whatever the me- mechanical thing was, started putting this orange dot there. Now everybody wants it. And then it quiets down for a while, and that sort of happens. You know, for, for G.I. Joe, what I found for me was that 
there's those figures that you grew up with that you had in your own personal collection. And those were the ones you loved, right? And you had a connection to them, whether they were interesting characters or not, like dial tone. Who cares about dial tone, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody cares about dial tone. But I loved him because he was one of the figures I had. Flint, I never had. So I never had a connection to Flint. All I knew was from the cartoon, he was the guy that they were replacing Duke with. And I didn't appreciate that because I liked Duke. Really? That said, yeah, that said, as a collector who's still interested in G.I. Joe, there's more years involved now. And you start to look at those other figures and collect those other figures that you weren't, that you haven't had for a long time. So you develop these new connections with characters that you previously didn't even care about. And so now Flint is like one of my favorite figures. Even though I never had him as a kid, he's still new to me. Like he's a new thing for me as far as G.I. Joe is concerned. And when I say new, I mean like 15 years ago. <laughs> you know? uh, I didn't know. I knew about headhunters. I didn't know about headhunter stormtroopers until about 15 years or so ago. And I was blown away by it. It was like a revelation. I was like, oh my God, I can't even believe these figures exist. They're amazing. How did I not know about this? <laughs> Pretty badass. Yeah, no, they're they're really fantastic. You know, Worms, the uh, drivers for the, I think it was the Maggot. Correct. Is that right? Yes, the Worms, they got the Rocketeer helmets. Mm -hmm. Tiny antenna that you can't, you can't, even if you're trying to keep track of them, you can't keep track of them. I have, a, I have a tiny little bag that has like four of those antennas in it. Oh, wow. And I keep losing the bag. So I keep putting the bag <laughs> in bigger and bigger bags. <laughs> so I don't lose the bag. <laughs> well, you know, it's like it'd be like a trash bag, and I'd be like, "What's that bag? Don't do it! It has four tiny antennas in it." <laughs> the the term my my former co-host Gary had a term for stuff like that, and that is pre-lost. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you, yeah, you can yeah. take that one with you if you want going forward. Pre-lost. Uh, that's that's an appropriate description of it. Yeah, yeah. It's but a, there's just you know, GI Joe put out so many figures that you know nobody as a kid or or when they first got into the line had them all. And you tend to favorite the ones that you spent so much time with and collected. It's not until later on that you have more time and you're looking for more stuff to add to that collection that you discover some of these other characters that you didn't know existed. And, and G.I. Joe is unique in that sort of sense that there were so many characters and there's so much time to, to really get to appreciate what's interesting about each one. Yes. And hopefully some of them will come back at some point. <laughs> <laughs> for real. And not not in just tiny three inch super deformed ones with giant heads, which seems to be no, a trend yeah. the last couple of years. I, I did recently finish that collection too. <laughs> yeah, I, they're great for what they are. I don't want to make it sound like I'm I'm bashing on them, and I'm glad that they're out there waving the flag. But but that's not no. It, when you turn and look and see what other you know Hasbro brands are doing right now. There's 300 Optimus Primes that came out in the last 10 years, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. could we just get Snake Eyes back on the shelf, you know? <laughs> For real. We, we're, we are getting our third Optimus Prime just in the Masterpiece line this year. Here we're getting our third Optimus Prime in the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, for real. And again, that's just Masterpiece. Like, they made the definitive Optimus yeah. Prime. And then they made a second definitive Optimus Prime. And now we're making a third definitive Optimus Prime. And there's there's Siege Siege Optimus Prime came out like last month. Bumblebee movie Optimus Prime came out this month. And then like the I can't remember Cybertron. Uh, he's got the wings and the stuff. I can't remember what the name of the figure is. Uh, yeah. But he's coming out like next month. Yeah. <laughs> it's like are we on a are we on a monthly release schedule for Optimus Prime now? Yeah. I mean, you know? <laughs> Optimus is a badass. I don't want to take away from him, but 
really. Hey, nothing against Optimus. I have lots of Optimus in my collection. But yeah, enough is enough. We could enough. trade out like can we trade out three Optimus releases for uh, Storm Shadow, please. <laughs> for real, just just limited to. I I understand it's not how the marketing works. You have to keep everything fresh sure. and everything in the. I I get that, but you know if you get it down to maybe three in a year, that's probably plenty. Perhaps our Transformers friends would disagree, but <laughs> I I think so. But you know they 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 gave up on us when we started referring to them as the robots. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think maybe they would thank us if uh, they had a few more dollars uh, handy and they didn't have to keep chasing all the Optimuses. For real. I mean, if really, if there's a if I have a secondary line, that's it. It's Transformers. I I am an absolute cherry picker on it. So I don't want to come off again. I don't want to come off like I'm I'm being negative towards Transformers, but wow, it's just it's a lot of Optimus. I don't need that much Optimus. I I don't have one Optimus. I was uh, I dove headfirst into Combiner Wars, dovetailed into uh, Power of the Primes, and then uh, for Siege, I was like, I think I got to take a break. <laughs> I think I got to take a little bit of a break here. <laughs> you just I can't I can't do every character again. Yeah. <laughs> I got to stop for a sec. Yeah, it, I, I mean, in their defense, the G1 inspired stuff they've done in recent years has really kicked ass. Absolutely gorgeous. Yep, yep. Again, if if that Megatron and Optimus from Siege were twenty five dollars, I probably would have bought them. But at thirty, I, I had to leave them. That's the line, huh? That's my line. That's my line. I just like action figures so much, and I know that there's going to be other stuff I want. And when you hit that $25, $30 price point, I just start going, that's two figures, you know? Yeah. That's not supposed to be a thing. <laughs> it, it goes back to when you're a little kid and, and you've got, you got a, you know, you're standing there and you're holding a 10 in your hands that just came out of a birthday card. Yeah. And you're trying to get as much for that 10 as you possibly can. And you don't think about it, it that way in regards to anything else. Like if you're going grocery shopping, it's whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to buy bananas and breakfast cereal and milk and yeah, whatever, whatever it costs, it costs. But when it comes exactly. to, to toy shopping, oh my God, you've got to squeeze every penny of that 10 until Abraham I, Lincoln sings. I just don't know what I'm, what I'm going to like. Like there's lines I don't care about their mythology. I don't care about the cartoon or movie or game that they're associated with. But if I see that cool figure, I'm going to have to get it, you know, and if I just spend it all on another $30 Optimus, you know, like <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to be able to take a chance on, on a line that I don't normally collect. All I know about the Siege line is they showed pictures of that jet fire that's coming later this year, and I'm I'm excited. I saw it at Toy Fair. It looks really great. <laughs> yeah, like that's something different. That's that's something I could see myself making some space for. Sure, absolutely. So, hypothetical situation time, Dan. The phone sure. rings, and on the other end is the dream project that you have not had a chance to accomplish to this this point in your life. What is on the other end of that phone? Are we talking about uh, video production, film? Are we talking about, like... Whatever. Toy, video game, anything? Whatever. You know, I, I wouldn't mind being involved with uh, bringing specifically bringing G.I. Joe back on, onto the big screen or, or the little screen or Netflix or whatever else. I'd love to, to have a role in, you know, helping art direct or just be a creative consultant, like voice of the fan or something, you know, to say, 
look, this is cool, but don't get away from the thing that sold the line. Like, don't get away from the, the real integrity of this thing. And, you know, I think the Marvel Universe, they've made some in, in, incredible decisions with respect to translating those comic book styles into believable, realistic designs. You know, Captain America's suit in the movies doesn't look anything like it looks in the comics, but it works. Mm -hmm. And I think a brand like G.I. Joe needs that. Mm -hmm. And I think they did some of that in a couple of movies that have been released so far. Snake Eyes suit in uh, Retaliation, I have no complaints. <laughs> it was fantastic. Would prefer just a little bit more you know, homemade, a little more government issue <laughs> yeah. uh, as opposed to, I don't really know what all this carbon fiber stuff is that he's wearing, you know, set that whole era, you know, make it a period piece, set it in 1984, give me a Sky Striker that's made out of an F-14, give me a Rattler that's made out of an A-10, don't, don't, not for the first movie, take a tip from Bumblebee, like, let's establish the core of the mythology first and then push it into the future later, you know. When we're when we're five movies in and you need to be bring out, you know, the Space Force and all that other stuff, right? Star Brigade. <laughs> Let's reset reset the expectations of what G.I. Joe is. Hopefully never Space Force. Right. Well, hopefully never Space Force, yeah. Ooh. And I thought, you know, honestly, the, the first trailer that hit for retaliation, I thought was going there. You know, like they they pared down the team, you had a, a core group. Bruce Willis in there as Joe Colton, you know, I was like, oh man, this feels like we're hitting a reset. And while I liked Retaliation better than Rise of Cobra, it still just wasn't quite there. And, and I feel like, all right, wipe all that away. Let's start over. It's been a big enough gap of time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's reset it as what, what it really, I, what I feel like it could have, should have been. Ease, ease up on the ninjas. <laughs> we'll get to the ninjas. But let's take it back to, you know, the conventional military stuff, the, the secret strike force, you know, in believable, realistic, you know, vehicles and a, and a time period where it works. Yeah. Well, the, the rumor is that the, the Snake Eyes project is an origin story for him. And I hope they take the same path to that that they, they did in the comic book. Uh, the origin of Snake Eyes, I, I really think, is one of those stories that it's one of the few times that the mysterious guy that they told his story and got it right. Oh, um, I agree, yeah. So I, I hope it, it takes a lot of cues from what's in the old Marvel comics as far as where Snake Eyes came from and what his influences were and how that lines up with the G.I. Joe team timeline. Obviously, they're not, they're not really going to get a chance to do all that in one movie, but some of the beats can be the same and, and still set you up for, for a big group movie the next time around. Yeah, exactly. But that that's it, huh? Creative consultant. That would be it for me. I, I'd jump at that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Marvel, Star Wars, and you know, all that stuff. They're they're doing just fine. You know, let me let me be a let let me help out something that is is still trying to find its way. <laughs> you know, something something that I may be able to provide a little insight into, uh, even if it's just a gut reaction of that feels right, that looks weird. You know. <laughs> mm. I probably would have nixed the armored, you know, combat suits uh, from Rise of Cobra. Uh, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. I have conflicted feelings about those because while they are perhaps the most non-G.I. Joe thing in an entire movie that just missed the mark as far as feel, like you said, that scene was a heck of a lot of fun. 
and that's tough to do is, yeah. is to okay you know how 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 accurate is this to what i wanted to see versus is this just an entertaining movie yeah and retaliation especially i can sit back and just say ah this isn't an entertaining this is an entertaining movie uh even if it doesn't quite hit what i wanted it to hit i felt like it was going in the right direction and i feel like if there had been that third movie made uh it, it could have been like a soft reboot where they kind of wink at the audience and go, we got it now, you know, mm. <laughs> we see, we see what's working and what wasn't working. And now we're, we're kind of starting over, but it's technically part three. Yeah. One, one of our other former co-hosts did, did kind of sum it up in a way that I liked. He, he said that the scope of rise of Cobra felt right. You know, they're trying to take over the world, this, that, and the other, uh, but the characters were wrong. And whereas in retaliation, the scope felt a little small, but they hit the characters yep. pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And and so there's some combination of the two out there that's going to gonna be right, and it can be done because we've seen both halves of it done. I'm just hoping that it happens somewhere in my lifetime. <laughs> exactly. And if not, the stuff that's already out there is never going away. We can always, we can always get lost in nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> it's worked the last right. 30 years. What the hell, right? I grew up collecting figures and creating my own uh, my own stories and my own mythology. That's part of the draw for me, so I'll just keep on doing that. <laughs> yeah, that was really the draw of it for me, too. I liked the stories that were being told, but there were always other characters that didn't have those stories. And so I tended to gravitate towards ones that didn't get used very often. Exactly. How did you meet producer Greg? Years ago, we used to work at the same company, basically. We were just coworkers. <laughs> All right. It's not long before you start talking about, you know, non-work related stuff. And we uh, had a lot of similarities in terms of movies we liked and games we were playing and all that stuff. And been friends ever since. <laughs> wow. I have never met the toy collecting coworker. That has no, no. <laughs> Wait, no, no, he's not a toy collector. No, no, he's not a toy collector. Okay. Uh, right. He's just into movies and games and, and all that stuff. The same pop uh, culture and, stuff, just, and, and just different, I, different tendrils, huh? Yeah, if we were going to talk about movies, I would say things like, you know, I enjoyed watching G.I. Joe Retaliation, even though I think it's, you know, not the best movie ever made. It was still fun to watch. And he would say, I wouldn't waste my time with that. I'm going to watch all of these horror movies over here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, I get what Halloween that animator, you know, <laughs> my, my friend Jamie and I, we he, he once uh, summed up our friendship by saying that He's the guy who runs right up to the nerd line and stops, and I'm the first guy on the other side of that line. <laughs> so between that's, the two, that's a perfect description. <laughs> yeah, between the two of us, we've got that 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 area well covered. We are we are there, and it it works. And so yeah, yeah, you can't like the, this. He's he's even been on the program before, uh, and I believe he he is the record holder for fewest Joes for a What's on Joe Mind co-host. Oh wow! Because I, I've I've dragged him out to joke on and stuff, so it's it's yeah. like he he's he's gotten involved in other ways, and and that's kind of the fun of this, doing this as an adult too. Yeah, no, we Greg and I work really well together because primarily we've got the same same sense of humor. Mm. Uh, we both find the same things funny, so <laughs> our, our the the simplest the simplest goal uh, description I can say of our creative process from the beginning. When it was literally just the two of us, no subscribers, no views, nothing. My goal was to try to make him laugh during the shoot. 
his goal is to try to make me laugh after the edit. Yeah. Because I don't see those videos until they're posted. You know, like he'll post them. They go live at 5 p.m. Eastern time. I usually see them around like one or two o'clock and I'll give them a quick watch just to make sure like, you know, there was nothing technically wrong with them. Like occasionally a, a name or something will be unintentionally misspelled wrong. And I'll say, hey, can you fix that real quick before it goes out? Or, you know, the label on a, a picture was wrong. It was supposed to be the other thing. You know, the notes we had were, were off. But if he laughs during the shoot, that mean that tells me I got it right, and it, and it gives me that energy during the shoot to keep it, you know, high energy and light and all that stuff. And you can tell the episodes where we're really, really just having a lot of fun because there's more outtakes in them <laughs> because we just can't stop laughing. And then when he edits and I see those things, you know, I'll send him a message like, "Oh man, you really nailed like it." <laughs> the he he has the running gag that he puts in with the death wish scene. Yes, and the guy's I. I told you, and then, uh, you know, uh, he gets Charles Bronson shoots him with a bazooka or whatever it is. Uh, it's a great running gag on the show. And I t- after the, the G-Force video that went up this past week, he set up the gag in the beginning, and then he closed it off running it the second time with Gilligan's face over Charles Bronson and, uh, you know, the battle and the G-Force character on the other guy. And I just, I was laughing because it was oh. unexpected. It was perfectly his sense of humor putting that that clip in there like that, and I just messaged him right away, and I was like, "You man, you set that up and, and delivered it perfectly." That I have to agree. Holy smoke! I had to stop the video. Just, I mean, there's <laughs> tears in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. And and you know, no matter how big the the channel gets, or, you know, sometimes it's intimidating. You start thinking like the numbers, and oh my gosh, subscribers and stuff. And if if I ever start to feel that way, I just pull back and say. Focus on one person. Make Greg laugh. (laughs) And if I can do that, I know other people out there are going to get it and and find it funny. Yeah, it's certainly done well for you to this point. Again, I cannot say enough great things about your channel. I anticipate the new video that you post every Thursday. Tell everybody where to find you. If they haven't heard of, of Toy Galaxy, what's up? At a very minimum, we're on YouTube. At this point, all you have to type in is Toy Galaxy into the search bar, and that's going to find us. But if you want to go to us directly, it's youtube.com slash TV. Our, our other biggest presence online is my Instagram. I run the Instagram for the show. Uh, we are at Toy Galaxy uh, on Instagram there. Uh, I try to post as much as I can. And uh, I'm starting to get better with like stories and video content and whatever, whatever over there. But usually it's just pictures of figures and, and notifications that our new videos up on Twitter. Greg runs the Toy Galaxy TV account. I run Toy Galaxy Dan. And of course, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash Toy Galaxy. You know, behind the scenes content, heads up about things that are coming up in the future, all those kinds of Patreon type details. Good stuff. What's, what's an example of what people can get if they subscribe to you on Patreon? So the last post that uh, we put up was in honor of our four-year anniversary. We posted a four-minute clip of the raw, unedited footage of the show from our very first episode the figure review of sabine wren and it you know there's no cuts in it there's no effects there's no music or anything so you get the you you get all of my nervousness (laughs) and my unintentional flubs and the conversation between he and i while we're shooting uh and you can kind of see if you if you watch the video the actual video before or after it you know you can actually see the cuts that made the the actual cut but you know, we, we don't usually put out that kind of content where it's like, okay, this is the unedited clip, the absolute raw footage. 
uh, and that's on there. And, and it was neat for me to see. I hadn't seen that in four years, so <laughs> it was an uh, interesting thing. Where was your beard at at that point? Non-existent. It comes and goes. People people obsess on that, and they need to get over it. <laughs> it's, that is that is a that is an indication of whether or not I felt like shaving. That's all it is. It's not. Uh, if Mrs. Toy Galaxy had her way, no beard. I get to a point. Basically, what happens is I don't feel like shaving, so it grows. And then either if I'm like little runny nose, something like that, it's gone immediately. I am no patience for runny nose and facial hair. It's yeah, gone. No, no. Or it gets to a point where. I just don't know what to do with it. Like, I'm not a beard guy, so I don't think beard things, you know, like, oh, how should I sculpt this? What shape should it be? How does it complement my face? It just gets to a certain length, and I go, I'm tired of this, and I just shave it off. And then it starts again the next day. That, that's how it should be, <laughs> damn it. That, that's how it should be. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing that triggers more comments in our comment section on YouTube or anywhere else than a video that posts right after I've shaved. <laughs> Why, why uh, Gillette hasn't called to sponsor the show yet? I don't know. Dollar Shave Club presents Toy Galaxy. Any of them. Bring it on. They would be into the grassroots bit. Maybe you should drop a proposal for them. We'll do it. <laughs> Dan, did we miss anything? Is there anything else that you just have to get out to, to the What's on Joe Mind audience that we haven't covered in the last hour and 20 minutes? No, I think we hit it all. I think we hit it all. I, th I think uh, I think your audience will, will get a sense of how much I miss GI Joe and what what I hope it will be when it comes back, and if it doesn't, how much I like what it was. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Dan. I, I really appreciate it. If you want to follow Toy Galaxy, they're on YouTube. YouTube.com/slash/toygalaxy. This is Toy Galaxy TV. Toy Galaxy TV. I'm sorry. I see. Look, I'm trying to do an outro. I've screwed it up. That's about how today's gone, but I'm good. You know what? We're gonna leave it in there. That's our outtake. This has been what's on. This has been what's on Show Mind Special Edition Number Fifty Seven. My name is Mike Irizarry. For my very special guest Dan Larson, everyone have a good evening. Chances